Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview elite entrepreneurs, and I thank you for joining us. This show is dedicated to helping you turn your vision into reality. And we are the number one show on the Voice America Network. Today, we're going to talk about Lead the Change with Nick Jenkel. As you know, my interviews with the world's elite entrepreneurs are all about helping you launch your new business or take your business to the next level. Sometimes the penny drops with the right information for you to start something profitable yourself or help you do your job a whole lot better. I love to help you and I love to hear how these world-class interviews are helping you. If you want to help me help more people and help get my show to those that need to hear this in the world, please consider giving me a review. The easy way is to go to Apple Podcasts or go to ratethispodcast.com slash Tony. A kind five-star review helps grow and support this show, and I thank you so much. Today's show is about Lead the Change with Nick Jenkel. Let's see what we can learn today. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary recap of what we went over, so stay tuned for that. Nick Jenkel is the author of Now Lead the Change and creator of the neuroscience-driven leadership methodology Biotransformation Theory. He holds an M.A. in Medicine and Philosophy of Science from Cambridge University. Here we go. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. So good to have you on with us today. Great to be here with you. Nick, I am looking forward to leading the change and learning about the change and how to deal with crisis and post and maybe even pre and how to transform. And there's, there's, there's some really important questions that I want to tackle because of especially what's going on and where we think we're headed. So let's kind of go back and introduce you to our audience and tell us, how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? So I have a very um, dotted uh, journey, which makes perfect sense in hindsight, but not it didn't make sense at the time. It's one of the important things for entrepreneurship is to make sense of it as you go along so you can actually understand who you are and who you're becoming. So quick story, I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I studied medicine originally, so I wanted to understand biology and human minds. Ended up studying philosophy for a bit too, which was very important for my story um, because I understood that science can only take you so far in understanding human beings. Ended up working in a big ad agency, um, developing brands and, and customer propositions, products, new ideas, whatever, that kind of stuff, creative thinking. And then the dot-com thing sort of hit in the late 90s, and I was early 20s, never wanted to be an entrepreneur, never considered it. And suddenly I found myself running a startup in 1999 in London, flying off to San Francisco, LA, New York, being part of the scene that was sort of snowballing, really. When this uh, dot-com scenario died down, um, we pivoted our company from being a sort of startup accelerator to a innovation consultancy, which is what you would call it now working with you know, Fortune 500 companies on how to develop new products that serve the future, not the past. Amazing stuff, brilliant com- clients, brilliant companies. But what I learned over and over and over is innovation's not enough because you can have the most perfect idea. Someone could show up to your company and go, this is the business model of the future. It's going to be billion-dollar business. Here it is. If the leaders in the business don't have the capacity to see it and the courage to go on the journey, which is never straightforward, nothing will happen. And that brought me into leadership work. And now the majority of my time is spent working with leaders, helping them transform themselves so they can transform their companies and their their industries. Uh, And I also work with my wife on individual transformations. So in life, you know, life, love and, and relationships. So transformation is the core of everything I do. And um, I use a lot of the science that I had uh, in my science background. Um, but I also bring a, a chunk of wisdom into it too and bring it all together. And, and that's how I arrived with a book called um, Now Lead the Change. Nick, you've done quite a bit in your journey. As you've mentioned, you're a keynote speaker. You talk about transformation and biotransformation, which I want to ask you about. Where in this life journey did you realize, hey, I'm good at helping people with transformation? Hey, I can do this. Or 
or, you know, how did that come about? Well, again, looking back in hindsight, I think it was quite early. I think it was in my teenage time. And I think that's what was drawing me into psychiatry. I didn't know that coaching existed. It wasn't a thing that was, you know, around where I was growing up, business coaching, life coaching, entrepreneurial coaching. If I'd known that, maybe that's what I would have wanted to have been. But all I knew was if you wanted to work with people and help them change their minds, you work, you became a psychiatrist. So I think I knew early, but it didn't become a kind of life, a life purpose and, and a business model ultimately until a lot later. And I think actually you can't really work with people until you've had some life experience and some pain and some frustration and some you know, difficult times because you need to draw on your own experience as well as the, all the theories that are out there, which are many. And why do you do this? What's your purpose behind all this? The deepest purpose is to regenerate our world with better ideas and better people, ultimately. I think that's what I'm working towards. I think we've got some big problems ahead. Crises, multiple crises on the horizon. I talk about four in the book. And I don't think continuing doing what we're doing is going to solve the crises and potentially solve the bigger crisis, which is will us as a species be able to exist on this planet with, you know, seven or eight billion people. So if you work back from 100 years from now, in order to make our grandchildren's lives work, flourish, um, we have to change our businesses a little bit. Um, and new businesses will arrive and arise and old ones will die that we don't really need anymore. And I am, I guess, at the edge of that conversation, the, the death of the old and the rebirth and the regeneration of the new. Nick, you created a thesis, if I'm saying that right, a theory, the biotransformation theory as part of this leadership methodology. Can you give us a little bit of information on that? Yeah, I'm a geek, basically, I'll be honest. Um, and if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I'd probably be an academic in you know, university psychology department, uh, beavering away on something. And so while I've been actually practicing change and helping people, coaching people, and I work with hundreds of people a year. Um, you know, one-to-one groups, whatever. While I've been doing that, I've also been thinking, well, what am I doing? What's the theory underneath all this? And how does it all work together? And as far as I've, my research has been to date, there isn't a theory that really explains how to change human beings with all the completeness I think we now have from science. So you've got theories about mindset change, you've got theories about behavior change, you've got theories about emotional change, um, and you've got theories about body change. And Biotransformation theory wraps it all up uh, and makes it a coherent whole that you can go, okay, you want to transform yourself, you want to transform your relationships, you want to transform your business. There is only one process you need to understand. And if you understand that process, it will make your life unbelievably simpler. It will take the pain out of change. um, And you can start to embrace change rather than fight it. And you can accelerate it and make it happen much quicker and enjoy the process of constant renewal that occurs when you allow change to happen and when you allow crises to make you change rather than fight it and run away and hope it all goes away, which, as we know, it doesn't. When I hear the word bio, B-I-O, I think of something changing or affecting us biologically, something affecting humans, beings, and so forth. What kind of change are we talking about within the person itself, I guess, on a physical level? So... The reason why we call the theory biotransformation theory is this truism that it's easy to forget when you're reading in a business book or um, the latest um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell bestseller. In order to change, for change to happen, it's ultimately nerves in your body have to fire differently. And if you want to think new thoughts, you have to have new neuronal connections, new neur- neurons have to grow and fire differently. And very few of us spend any time learning about that stuff or being taught about that stuff. Often I'll do a keynote, you know, 500 people in a room, and I'll say, who has spent more than 10 hours of their life being taught how to change their own mind and their own brain? Very few. And these are leaders of industry. These are people who have spent 20 years in one industry. They're masters of their space. And yet we don't get taught how to change our own minds, our own emotions, and our own behaviors. And that's what ultimately I help people understand. And what I, what I am now moving towards doing is teaching people how to change themselves rather than doing the change for them. Coaching is really kind of doing it for someone. 
And what I'm much more interested in saying, look, here's the theory, here's how it works, here's how your emotions work, here's how your minds and stories and narratives work, here's how your behaviors and addictions and habits work, and this is a process for changing them. Go and practice, and if you do it regularly, you'll be a master at self-transformation. We're talking about Lead the Change with Nick Janko, and that's the title of his new book, also Lead the Change, and you can find him at switchonnow.com. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about Lead the Change with Nick Jenkel. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. In Wondery's newest series, Business Movers, host Lindsey Graham dives deep into the inner workings of some of the most successful companies of all time. From the origin stories of their famed leaders to the million-dollar idea that catapulted them to success, how exactly did these companies grow from an idea and a dream to multi-billion dollar corporations? Here the landmark decisions, the scandals, and the stunning triumphs that made them who they are. First up, Walt Disney. The first season features a name that's been synonymous with the entertainment industry since the early 20th century, Walt Disney. Learn how, even when faced with harrowing obstacles and wide-ranging skepticism, he remained true to his vision and brought his world of magic to life. You're about to hear a preview of Business Movers. While you're listening, subscribe to Business Movers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen early and ad-free in the Wondery app. Behind every successful business is a story. It begins with a vision, and then a leap of faith. Along the way, people make bold decisions, ride through booms and busts, and sometimes they find success. Before I began hosting shows like American Scandal, American History Tellers, and producing audio dramas like 1865, I got my master's in business because I've always been interested in how businesses work, how they grow, how they thrive. In business school, we looked at case studies. How did this business succeed? Why did that business fail? On Business Movers, we'll ask those same questions and we'll dive into the true stories of the brilliant but all-too-human business leaders who risked it all, the critical moments that led to their triumph or failure, and the ideas that transformed the way we live our lives. We begin with a four-episode series about Walt Disney and what drove his desire to build a bigger and better theme park in Orlando, Florida. Disneyland is the happiest place on Earth. But it's also a business, and Walt, the shrewd entrepreneur, was a cutthroat businessman, driven by a bold vision and a relentless pursuit of a better bottom line. While Walt's movies were critically acclaimed, they didn't always make money. But after Disneyland got over its rocky start, it made money, and a lot of it. In 1957 alone, the park grossed more than $11 million, well over $100 million today. But Walt was not motivated by dollars alone. He was also driven by a desire for perfection. Once at a showing of Fantasia, when a journalist asked Walt why he was rearranging chairs at his own movie screening, Walt replied, because I like things just so. Walt's desire for perfection drove him to improve on Disneyland and create a second theme park. As he searched for the perfect location, Walt envisioned something bigger and better than Disneyland, something new and something perfect, a total destination resort, a city of tomorrow. This is episode one, Project Future. It's November 1963 in St. Louis, Missouri. Walt Disney has come to town nine months after construction began on the Gateway Arch, America's tallest man-made monument. St. Louis is a town on the rise, and today Disney brings with him the potential for another massive project, a second Disney theme park. The finances are sorted, the paperwork's been drafted. All that's left is to put pen to paper, which is why Walt Disney, his executives, and a group of local politicians and business leaders have gathered for a celebratory dinner. Walt sits at the head of the table. He looks dapper, with his neatly groomed mustache and slick graying hair. All smiles, Walt proposes a toast. Here's to a bright and successful future and a fruitful partnership. Here, here, here. 
After considering upwards of a dozen cities, Walt chose St. Louis, in no small part because the locals have been easy to work with. But that's all about to change, because there's one dinner guest who is not smiling. August Gussie Bush Jr., the successful St. Louis beer magnate. Gussie is clearly skeptical of Walt Disney's theme park, and he's about to blow the deal. Well, Mr. Disney, looks like everything's in place, but what about liquor? I beg your pardon? You heard me. Gussie's blunt question sucks the air out of the room and steals the smile off Walt's face. Booze is my business and St. Louis is my town. If you're going to be coming here, I'd at least like to know what your distribution plan is. Sitting nearby, the local mayor tries to intervene. Well, now, Mr. Bush, I believe that question has already been answered, hasn't it, Walt? It has. Walt's position on liquor is non-negotiable. As long as he's around, it will never be sold on Disney property. Walt believes liquor would cheapen the Disney image and the family-friendly Disney brand. But Walt doesn't say a word to Gussie. He quietly listens as the brash Mr. Bush presses the issue. I think liquor is critical. Like I said, the question's already been answered. Then we ought to revisit the issue, Mr. Mayor. The fact is, any man who thinks he can design an attraction that is going to be a success in this city and not serve beer or liquor ought to have his head examined. It's an outrageous taunt, but Walt doesn't blow his top. He hardly shows any emotion at all. He simply raises his right eyebrow. The Disney executives in the room have seen this look before, and they know exactly what it means. Walt is livid. Later that night, Walt returns to his hotel suite across town. One of his executives walks into his room. Good night, Mr. Disney. What time can we have the plane in the morning? The plane? We have a meeting in the morning. We're supposed to forget about that. It's finished. We're not going to that meeting. Have the plane ready first thing. Whether or not Walt Disney abandoned St. Louis because of Gussie Bush's offensive comment is not entirely known. But what is known by all of us is that no Disney theme park was built in St. Louis. And the story about Disney and Gussie Bush illustrates a critical fact about the man many called Uncle Walt. He was a hard-nosed businessman who did not back down. Walt was determined that Disney World would eventually eclipse Disneyland, and to achieve that goal, he would embrace what worked the first time and improve on what didn't. The liquor policy was essential. The family-friendly Disney brand was more precious to Walt than any possible location for the park, no matter how accommodating. But the most important lesson Walt had learned the first time around was not about booze. It was about the importance of keeping a secret. You're listening to The Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Erso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Lead the Change with Nick Jenkel. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this and share some pointers with you. Stay tuned for that. With his partner and wife, Allison Mikalay, they share a vision of a society and world regenerated by the power of individual and collective transformation. All right, and now back to the chat with Nick. Nick, let's get into your vision path. We talked about a lot of points here on transformation, and let's kind of bring things together now, and let's talk about crises or crisis. How do people stay resilient on anything that happens? You don't know what's going to happen. So let's talk about, I believe this is your term, to bounce back better and braver. Well, actually, I think entrepreneurs of all the people, types of people in the world are usually the best at dealing with crisis because they've had to already. And if you're sat in a corporate and you've been protected by a nice pay packet and a decent deal, those corporate walls prevent what you might call evolutionary pressures coming in and making crisis occur for you, right? It's because you've got a corporate team and you've got a team who buy up a small company. So you don't really get a lot of pressure, a lot of crisis. But entrepreneurs are constantly dealing with crises. So every day is basically a long experience of a crisis, some tiny, some massive. And so entrepreneurs tend to be more resilient. Small business owners tend to be more resilient. What we're dealing with now, though, is a, a series of crises which um, have hit us in unexpected ways, but they could have been predicted. I have a whole chapter about some of the crises in my book, and one of them is about the pandemic crisis. And you could predict it would happen at some point if you understood you know, how systems change and how travel works and how supply chains 
work in the modern age. But the reality is, this is not the first or the last, it's not going to be the last crisis we're going to face. There could be quite a few coming along um, over the next 10 years. I think we're going to go through a very tough 10 years, if I'm honest, in my work as a futurist, uh, for want of that term. Um, we've got a lot of challenge ahead. And so what are we going to do? We can run away. We can try and pretend it's not there. We can put it under, you know, pillow under our head and hope it goes away. It isn't going to go away. So what's the alternative? The alternative is to look for the opportunity in crisis. And there is always opportunity in crisis. And actually crisis, the Greek, ter- the Greek word crisis comes, means in the original Greek, uh, ancient Greek, a turning point. It doesn't mean good or bad. It's not, it's not a horrible thing or a happy thing. It's just a moment where you can change tack. And so if you look at every crisis as, okay, there's going to be stuff that's going to hurt, there's going to be stuff that's going to be painful, and there's going to be stuff that's going to die. And I mean business model stuff, revenue stuff, all the things that change in a crisis. There's also going to be an opportunity or multiple opportunities within this crisis. So let's look for them. You know, that's what, if you think about entrepreneurship as the seeking of new problems to solve yourself rather than waiting for someone else to do it, then as an entrepreneur who has a freedom to change tack when you want to, then a crisis is really a, uh, an opportunity for us. But if we try and hold on to the old thing that was kind of nice for a while, comfort and convenience of our business model, our revenue streams, then we won't adapt quick enough and other people will snip in there and, and do it. So even in the last um, year, I've seen people adapt very quickly to crises and I've seen people really struggle and it's already made a difference, right? The delta between the two extends. So the sort of message for, for change, leading change is to follow the discomfort and don't try and ignore or repress or deny the discomfort. Follow it because in the discomfort is the breakthrough, is the new idea, is the innovation, is the creative thought. And it, you can make, you know, this, this is on the small to the large. I have a client who runs a very small food services business. So events. Uh, for, you know, weddings and, and brand events, and then a little um, uh, food truck type idea. And uh, suddenly in a lockdown, people aren't having events, right? That just died, literally dead overnight. Uh, and people can't go to restaurants. And in that uh, moment, this uh, colleague, friend of mine invented a whole new delivery business, which is now thriving. And that opens up a future that was not available a year ago and probably would never have done it. Likewise, myself, we're launching a new leadership program, which it will be totally virtual. So it'll be online like this, but we've also got loads of other things you can do, not just live Zoom calls, but lots of other things and recordings and audio and toolkits and little exercises. And we probably would never have really developed that if we just carried on doing what we usually do, which is big workshop-based programs. And so it's been an amazing journey, terrifying, you know, knuckle ride, wake up three in the morning stuff, but also really interesting, exciting. And that's, that's the choice you make in the crisis, the turning point. Do you want it to be a turning point or do you try and turn away from the future and, and try and run back to the past? And we know one thing, you can't do that. It's literally impossible, but it doesn't stop us trying. Yes, this crisis has actually made a lot of millionaires People that, for example, would have, they would do an event, for example, and might have 20 people, 30 people at an event. Now they're doing webinars and Zoom calls and meetings with people having 300. And for the entrepreneur, the opportunity is skyrocketed in terms of the income. And I've spoken to quite a few entrepreneurs and businesses absolutely better than ever because of what they do and because of being able to capitalize the internet, the digital media, and everything that's available technologically today. Now, on the flip side, as if 180-degree juxtaposition, I pulled a couple stats, and just, you know, Yelp, Y-E-L-P, is one, one business out there, that uh, a business that services businesses. And I looked at some of their stats because it kind of gives you a little idea of what's happened in the world. And this is just one company reporting and their businesses from April to August, 100,000 businesses closed permanently. Yeah. And the, we've got restaurants, retail, beauty, and bars. Over almost 60% of beauty type stores, shops, and services closed permanently. 
we've got millions of people displaced. So one side, we've got people making millions and thriving like crazy and hiring because business has never been better. And on the other side, we have people suffering really bad. And there are entrepreneurs in there. They're small business owners and they're out of business and they have to learn to adopt. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. But what I think, and I like your point of view, is it's a, it's a shock when something like this happens. You don't expect it. And I think this is why everybody in the audience needs to read your book and buy it and give it out as gifts. Lead the change because it's a huge shock. Let's talk about why does this happen and how come people just can't uh, run with it? So they use the word shock, which is a really important word to use because when the crisis hits, it's literally shock, you know, in medical sense, you know, we are, uh, we are shocked by what's happened and that shock is in our nervous system. And if we don't know how to process it and, and we just running around. And I remember I recorded a video at the very beginning of um, lockdown back in February 20, just saying, don't just react. Don't just start running and trying to do fight 50 new businesses. And you've got to take time to process the shock. Got to take time to deal with the change and try and find what the change means for you. And it's not going to happen probably 24 hours, right? So if you've already been developing some new stuff, which we had, and you realize that that this crisis is going to accelerate that trend that you were already sort of riding, then that's great because that's what Amazon's done, right? So they've got, they've already been moving on to a digital. People aren't going to go out to retail. People aren't going to go and buy food in the store if they can avoid it. They already knew that. That was a long-term trend. They've already been developing stuff to do that. And suddenly that's been accelerated. Great buddy for them. You know, another billion made this second for Jeff. So if you've already got something that you know is kind of crisis positive, it's future forging, as I would call it. It's already kind of, it's becoming more valuable as, as time goes on, then great. But if you know that what you do is kind of already was difficult, already was sort of fighting the, the future, the march of the future, then you've got some thinking to do. And the key to do is to do good adaptive thinking is not to do it in panic, not to do it in shock, because you've got no capacity. And in my book, I talk about this. You, you're actually in the wrong brain network for creativity if you're in shock and fear and worry and anxiety. You literally cannot think new thoughts. Um, so you have to find a way to process the, the shock, to deal with it, to think through it um, with a buddy, with, with you know, a family member, with a colleague, with someone you work with, with someone who's in the same industry, someone in a different industry. Talk to lots of people, right? So you've got to have, take, take some time for you. If you've got a coach, wonderful, therapist, counselor, whatever. Someone you can talk it through, right? We, we tend to need to talk things through with people. It's very hard to pivot a business on your, sitting on your own. Partly it's because when you tell people your ideas for how you might pivot or adapt, they give you feedback, whether they feel like it's a good idea, not just from what they think, they can tell from how you speak about it whether you feel there's something strong there or if it's actually just a, a pipe dream or, or a crazy idea. And I mean crazy in a not, not a good way as opposed to the crazy in a good way ideas, which are also awesome. This is the Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about Lead the Change with Nick Jenkel. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Do you like to zone in sometimes on a good story that just takes you away from this world? We all need that sometimes, right? Here's a good book recommendation for you. I'm announcing a book that I've worked on for years with my co-author, SKR, and the title is Iman of Atlantis, Bitten. It's the first book, volume one. We've spent years on this. It's been a labor of love. Get it now at Tony, D-U-R-S-O, dot com slash I-M-E-N. It's a fictional story of what happened in Atlantis once upon a time, and there are multiple storylines that merge and converge together. Some of the key players are Bomo, the woodcutter, who's huge and is usually referred to as the ogre. Another character is Roni of Iman Hera. As an analogy, picture the most fierce and formidable samurai warriors imaginable who laid down their weapons in order to serve mankind. And in exchange for ending their fighting ways, the creator gave them healing powers and very special abilities. And now, the Aymen are just a myth, a rumor, a legend, with most people not really sure if they're real or not. Then, there's Crown Prince Ivan, 
Radon, Prince Corin, and it involves the main kingdoms of Karen, Carthinia, and a plot against Bodon. But you really need to look out for Queen Tara. I don't think you've ever run into anyone so cunning, crafty, and evil. Have you? Well, aside from Prince Corin, perhaps, and maybe some people you read about in the news. But I digress. You would think this has to do with contemporary times, but it was never written for that purpose. This first book is about the love of money, especially gold, and what people and rulers will do to get as much as they can, and a lot more stuff that you have to read to find out about. Get it now at TonyDurso.com slash I-M-E-N. Enjoy a good read, check it out, and let me know how much you love it. TonyDurso.com slash I-M-E-N. You're listening to the Tony D'Erso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Erso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Lead the Change with Nick Jenkel. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this and share some pointers with you. Stay tuned for that. With his partner and wife, they spent a combined 45 years studying and practicing how to lead change personally and professionally. From medicine and trauma therapy to coaching and embodied wisdom to find the most effective tools, practices, and ideas for change. And now back to the chat with Nick. So you've got to take some time. You've got to pause. You've got to take stock. And then you've got to know when to go fast. And so part of this transformation uh, rhythm is it's not the same as a machine. It's not the same as an algorithm. You put in the algorithm and it just runs. Or another way of thinking about that is driving your automobile. You put your foot on the engine, uh, on the, on the gas pedal, and there's a linear relationship between how much you push and how fast you go. Absolutely linear. But that's a machine. And we're not machines. We're not algorithms. We're biological organisms. And we don't respond in a linear way. You can make someone go faster, and they won't necessarily be faster, better, more creative, more amazing, more transformational. In fact, often the opposite occurs. They become less resilient, more freaked out, less functioning. They go into shock, into freeze, fear, flight, fight, et cetera, et cetera. So the part of the journey of leadership, of self-leadership, of, of transformational entrepreneurship, of adaptation, just that simple, is knowing when to pause and reflect and take stock and think of things through and open up your eyes. Talk to some customers, talk to some new customers, talk to some old customers. Talk to some customers who've gone away or are you know, buying up your competitor's stuff because it seems to be more appropriate to the, for the crisis. And then you've got to know when to go foot to the floor and you've got to go. You've got to go, 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 go. And you might have to do a few of those long hours. Uh, we've been pulling some long hours where, over the last few months as we accelerate out of the curve and it's paying off. So that's part of this, this shock in crisis is being able to go between relaxing, thinking things through, reflecting, and then hell for leather, you know, this is it, this is the moment, move, and then getting back again and taking some time to take stock. Because the thing about experimentation and innovation is you never get it right first time, ever. So if you're doing something for the first time, it's almost inevitably slightly wrong. And if you don't have the time to reflect on that and go, you know what, that new packaging or that delivery thing kind of there, but not quite there. What should we do about it? If you're still just going, bum, 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 you will, you'll miss the, miss the boat. And one of the things I love about being an entrepreneur myself of 22 years is that I've never, even in the worst moments, and I've gone through a few hairy, hairy, scary, near bankruptcy moments. I've always known there's something more I can do. One more thing, two more things. And that, that knowledge is what gets me back up when I'm, you know, slapped down on the floor, feeling like I can't go on, that no one wants what I've said, no one wants my shtick, is there's always something more you can do. And one of the things about today's world is there's never been as much you can do to empower yourself into new businesses. You could literally spend one day using existing platforms and services and have a new website, a new product, a new shipping system already done in a day. And that's never been possible before in the whole history of the human race. And that's mind-blowing, right? You can do so many things quickly. So then the question becomes, what? You know, where, where do you find the breadcrumbs for you to follow to, in, the, in a crisis to the next thing? Um, and I have thoughts about that. 
Um, but that's a big question, obviously. A lot of thoughts there. I encourage everyone to listen to this again. You've given quite a few takeaways and things to think about and ponder. And it's not just something to just listen and move on. This interview is something to think about and ponder whether you're super successful because there's information here that can help take you to another level or take that other idea of yours and take it off. And if you're very affected or even somewhat affected by the current crisis or future crisis, this gives you a lot of things to think about. So it won't be as devastating, hopefully, as perhaps it was before, and you can bounce back a lot better. Another thing I wanted to ask is you talk about this triple threat that every leader and organization has to engage with. Yeah. So there's a lot of change going on in the world. I've got a list of about 100 things that I'm sort of tracking in the, in the future that are coming towards us. And it's mind-boggling, but, but it's my job, right? I'm a futurist. I'm paid to think about these things. And even I find it overwhelming. And our brains aren't adapted to having 100 new technologies coming into the market at the same time, as well as political instability and climate change and all that stuff. It's just not, we're not ready for it. So over the years, I've tried to develop a tool for people to use to do strategy, basically, to sort of think about what's, what's coming next. And I call it the triple threat. And uh, when you listen to these, you know, make them mean what they mean for you, your industry, your business, your sector, your area, your local market, whatever. So the first one is, is fairly obvious. It's digital. So it's a D. D1 is digital. And that means everything from AI to blockchain to CRISPR, you know, gene editing technologies, and the list goes on. And one of the things that is amazing about the world we're in is even if you are an MIT professor in one of these technologies, you probably don't fully understand how it's going to impact the human race yet because it's still so early in its, in its journey, let alone how it's going to interact with Internet of Things and wearables and you know, all these other things that are being developed in the next department at MIT. So the first thing is, if your business isn't some way digital, doesn't have some digital empowerment and some digital uh, platform, you're probably going to struggle. And that might just be social media marketing or Google Maps advertising or whatever. But the question then is, what could you use digital technology to do better, quicker, or more effective, or bring new customers that you can't tap into at the moment? That's the first D. Second D is actually more important than technology, and that is disrupted societies, disrupted generations, in that if your customers are generally 58-year-olds or 63-year-olds or 75-year-olds, predominantly white or predominantly black or predominantly Hispanic, and the new markets coming up beneath them, the grandchildren of those people, they want different things and they need different things and they have different views about what's valuable. So I'll give you a simple, simple way of thinking about this. If you grew up in the 80s, the number one thing you wanted as an 18-year-old was a car. Car was freedom. Car was possibility. A car was the great American dream, right? Today, if you were a 17-year-old, a car could actually be a burden. You might not want a car. In fact, it's a pain in the butt, difficult, expensive. It sits there. You've got to deal with it. You've got Uber, right? You've got uh, ride sharing. You've got bicycle sharing, whatever you've got. What do you want most? You want a smartphone. That gives you an example of just how quickly generations change their, their dreams, their hopes and dreams and aspirations. So if you've got a customer process where to do a contract, you come over to their house and then you send them a three-page proposal uh, by post and then you know maybe you're there to take the phone call maybe you're not oh it's just out of date right and if you're not on text whatsapp you know send me a online contract i'll sign it right now can i pay you you know can i pay you through my little blinky app that's just something, something to think about is generational change and societal change and where people are going in the future that's the second d and the third d is the damaged world. So what is in the environmental crisis, what's in the political crisis, what's in the ill health crisis that is affecting you, affecting your customers? So it might be diabetes, cancer, heart disease, which are ballooning. It might be suicide, which is ballooning. It might be teenage anxiety, which is ballooning. It might be pollution, which is causing multiple deaths, you know, millions, a million deaths a year in China alone, pollution. Even if the other two, you're ahead of the other two, we are hitting a hard stop in the next 10, 20 years where we are going to have to deal with the effect of about 300 years of industrial revolution and what it's, we've created for ourselves. 
And so you might as well get ahead of the game. That's the, so the triple threat, as obviously you probably realize, is a triple opportunity because you can use technology to serve new customers and in the doing so, solve some part of the cluster of crises that we all have to engage in and that are animating so much civil anxiety and unrest at the moment about what our future looks like um, because no one's really telling us what it might look like. You've painted a really good picture here on the triple threat and technology and opportunity. And I'm going to try to flip this to the other side. going to try to. Let's see how I do. (laughs) I think there's so much technology. Now, I use technology and I don't even, I, I could not do what I do without it, period. But there's so much. I believe it's almost an overwhelm. How can I even keep up with it? What's important? What's not? And is it really beneficial? Do we really need a lot more? Is this helping humans and humanity or not? What's your take on that? Well, yeah, I think 20 years ago, the general idea was technology is amazing, all good. There's nothing wrong with it. Everything's right with it, right? And I remember the first dot-com explosion and just technology is a big thumbs up, double thumbs up, let's go. I think 20 years later, and we've seen everything from horrible situations for, in Uber drivers' cars right through to social media algorithms where what you're being shown about one thing is different from what I'm being shown. So we don't even have a shared understanding of one event anymore because we're being fed different things right through to the knowledge of how much stress having a phone next to us can cause, you know, how how much heartbreak and heartache. Um, So much so that one of the things I teach my clients is have sacred digital boundaries. You turn that thing off and you leave it in a different room and you don't come back to it until you are ready to go with your A-game and don't let your energy seep out into your smartphone the whole of your evening and the whole of your early morning and during the gym and on the, you know, you know, on the freeway. You've got to create space for yourself. So there is, I think what I call it, there is a definite realization that we have a lot of what I would call toxic technology in our lives at the moment. Technology that's been driven by purely by profit, usually from advertising versus purpose like it doesn't have it doesn't really have a role in our lives it's just something that's been there and it's just turning out money so much so that a lot of the early tech pioneers are turning against their own technologies you know and saying hey you know hands up we messed up we created a monster here um so yes we have to learn how to manage our own technological life and make sure we have other things relationships whoa you know mind-blowing uh relationships nature walks you know the simple things in life, moments of appreciation, cooking, whatever, chats with friends, but without being a Luddite, you know, we don't have to reject technology. There's, there's no, you know, there's, uh, you know, as you said, you use it every day. If you use it well, wisely, it can be the difference between a business that works and one that doesn't ultimately, right? The speed that you can do things now. I mean, we don't, we barely pay an accountant anymore because we've got all our invoices systems and expenses systems, and everything's all tied up and integrated. It just sort of ticks away. We get the bank feeds coming in. We get uh, the credit card feeds coming in. And it all sort of self-reconciles, pops out a few you know, monkeys to, to deal with, and then done. That's a year's worth of, of business accounting done for, for pennies. So that's kind of the personal piece. But what I'm also very interested in and, um, and starting to talk about in the idea space is what I would call regenerative technology, technology that's driven by wisdom deep wisdom about where we're going and what we want to be and leveraging AI and leveraging blockchain, all these amazing things. And they are amazing what they can do, but I don't think we've yet seen the power for real social good that technology can bring us. A few cases. Uh, and, and for my own business, what my vision at the moment is if I could create a way of delivering the same value I deliver when someone shows up to one of our leadership workshops or a coaching session, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And if I could create the same experience using AI and virtual reality for a few dollars a month, where resilience and emotional pain and challenge crisis adaptation, um, support, uh, that reflection time is all part of a few dollars a month experience. That for me is a regenerative regenerative technology where I'm scaling my purpose priority over the profit and the profit comes after. 
This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues about Lead the Change with Nick Jenkel. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with special VIP guests. Now, back to Tony and his guest. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Lead the Change with Nick Jenkel. At the end of this interview, I'll give you a summary of what I got out of this and share some pointers with you. Stay tuned for that. Nick's company, Switch On, runs as a social enterprise with a clear purpose, to deliver transformational programs that support individuals to transform their lives, their relationships, and their organizations. And now back to the chat with Nick. Lots of great points you mentioned. And the one that sticks with me is creating that digital space, especially for the entrepreneur out there and the small business owner. Because we have so much technology, we're always on the technology nonstop, 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 picking up the phone, checking emails, looking at the computer. It's a habit, but in a way, a necessary habit because we have customers, we have clients, we have business, so we're always engaging. And I see that if you do it too much, I think that creates this this burnout. You know, you get you just oh, that's it. I don't want anymore. So you need that digital space, and perhaps uh, you could tell us a little bit more about how to avoid the burnout from all this. Well, just to, just to remind us all that our brains are pretty much the same brains as our ancestors in the you know savannas of africa the brain hasn't changed very much right and so if you think about their whole day was a little bit of hunting cleaning off some yams cooking some you know whatever corn once a week or two hunting something and the rest of the time was chatting hanging out sleeping looking at the stars wondering putting some hands on a cave you know that kind of stuff that was the con- that was the amount of bandwidth had to be used right very little now if you are a busy business owner, as I am, I am, I've got Slack on here. I've got two laptops. I've got my f- smartphone. I've got an iPad. I've got a Kindle. It's all talking to each other. I'm getting notifications all the time of stuff going on. We're selling stuff online. So I'm getting, when I'm asleep, things are from America are coming in. When I'm, you know, this is just constant 24-7. And um, it literally burns us out. And we, our brains have, uh, the research on attention is very interesting because it basically summarizes we have a limited amount of attention per day to use, right? It's like we have like, you know, $10 of attention. And once we've used that $10 of attention, it's all from then on, it's just overwhelm and exhaustion and stress. We're not thinking clearly. It's not, you know, and if we keep taking money out the attention bank, going overdrawn, you know, keep, 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 keep going, credit, 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 burnout happens. And I had a burnout. So I know exactly what this is. This is not, a burnout is not something that you go, oh, I had a burnout and, Last week, and now I'm feeling great. Burnout is something that takes months, if not years, to fully unfold and come back from. It's a rock bottom of work addiction, digital addiction, and work addiction probably coming together. And it took me probably two years to unpack that and to get back to a functioning state where I was of value to other people. Um, And even at the beginning of the crisis of this pandemic, because I had to stop, you know, flights were finished. I wasn't able to get on a flight to Iceland where I was doing a keynote that week. Suddenly I stopped and I didn't realize just how close to burnout I was. You know, doing three or four keynotes a week in different parts of the world was a lot. And so I was almost getting back to a point that I swore I would never go back to um, myself. So I've shifted my ways a little bit. I, I leave my phone downstairs. I have a, you know, app blocker until 8.30. I avoid the temptation to check my Facebook at 10 o'clock at night, you know, my medium articles, has anyone read my articles, anyone clapped? I put boundaries around myself because otherwise I don't take care of myself. And it's, it's, um, you have to be really strong. And if you really can't do it, just literally lock it up 
you know, you know, put a, you can get apps now that, that basically put a digital lock on it where you can't open it, you know? Um, and one of the things I've inspired myself with when I get back the cravings, the notification cravings, uh, you know, what's the weather like tomorrow? You know, whatever it is, that thoughts you have that you can have the whole world's knowledge right here is I look at my kids and I see a, how sort of sad they are when I'm on my phone and B, how little I want them to do the same thing when they're 15 to me. And, you know, I'm trying to teach them that these things are great. Use them, enjoy your iPad, watch Netflix, you know, and then there's a moment where we're going to turn it off and we're actually going to go outside. I know shock horror, there's some light out there. It's called the sun and we're going to enjoy it for another hour or two. And just help them learn this balance, this rhythm between digital, fast, go for it, and slow. Um, I actually wrote an article on, on my medium that you guys might like if you're li- liking this called Slow Entrepreneurship and about how we can take some ideas from the slow food movement and get off this addiction to scale and speed and velocity and movement and, and numbers. And I've got my num and just slow it down a bit and learn to enjoy the journey as much as, um, destination that definitely brings some sanity into everything and i think of this sometimes and i actually talk about this just when i'm socializing not online you can get so much so fast but you need to absorb it and take it it's like how do you eat your dinner do you take your steak and your potatoes and your salad and your vegetables and just blend it all in and just drink it or do you enjoy it savor it so I always think of that as like, how fast do you want it? You know, you got to put some sanity and savor things for what they are. And I really love that about checking out the sun and being out in nature every day. That's very cool. It just reminded me of the, what I thought was the high point of Silicon Valley craziness, where these guys invented this uh, shake where they literally took all the, the beautiful steak and the potatoes and the home fries and the vegetable and put it into a shake. And that was it. Don't have to even eat anymore. I've optimized eating out of my life. I've now got another 12 minutes to do some more amazing work, coding, whatever. I'm like, seriously? Like the best bit of my day is sitting down with my wife, cooking something, not every night. Can't invent a gastro gastro meal every night. But um, just taking the time to look at the kids and hold her hand and, and you know chat about the day. We often, once a week, we play a game, the gratitude game where everyone share something they're grateful for from the week, just 10 minutes, you know, just to remind ourselves that we're, we're still a human being as well as a human doing. Um, and the, the secret to life, which, you know, has eluded us for millennia is to mix the two and to blend them in your own particular blender. And here's something I am wondering about. I believe this is from your book. Consciousness is king. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. So people say, you know, capital is king, cash is king, context is king, but I believe human consciousness is king. And what I mean by that from a business point of view, so there's a philosophical version of that, which I uh, won't um, share with you fully now. I'll share with you the business version, you know, how it hits the road. For me, the only thing that you can control in your business in this fast-changing crisis hit world is your own mindset your own consciousness. You can't change what your competitors do. Can't decide if there's going to be a lockdown or not. Vaccines may or may not solve your problems. There may or may not be a climate crisis next year, methane gas in the permafrost of Siberia exploding. Who knows? Who knows what you can control? I don't mean control in a sort of Machiavellian repression way, but you can master this thing. Um, And this thing that I'm doing with my hands is you can master your mind, your consciousness. You can learn how to get the most out of your hardware. You can get the best software possible for your hardware, but there's no download. There's no app store. You actually have to develop. You have to code the software yourself for your own consciousness. But when you do, there is nothing in the world that is insurmountable that is a sentence for despair and depression and, and, you know, giving up. There's always something more you can create. Or there's a way of dealing with the difficulties in a way that creates beautifulness in some way, in a moment with your colleague, your business partner, a customer. This is what's possible, and it's possible every day. It's not just when there's a crisis. It's not just when you need. You can master your consciousness every day, um, learn more about how you work, um, and then how to tweak, tweak it, how to tweak the software. 
and you want to feel this, then learn how to create that feeling for yourself. If you want to feel inspired, learn how to create inspiration for you. And that's why consciousness is king, because you can't control anything else anymore. Are there any other great resources that perhaps you'd like to share with our audience entrepreneurs? I mean, so many. I mean, one of the, so there's actually a free thing that I can offer you, which is a 10-day course, email course. Just gives you 10 little things to do over 10 days. And you can get it at switchonnow.com slash 10, as in T-E-N, and enjoy it. It's like a little exercise each day that you can do to get you in more creative, more adaptive, more responsive mindset. If that's not your bag, then here's my next suggestion. Go into the world, and I mean the nature, that thing that we come from, that is us, and just find one thing, a leaf, could be a leaf, you know, a blade of grass. And just to get out of the hustle and the, the complexity and the challenge and the overwhelm, just act like a little uh, eight-year-old scientist and just check out whatever this thing is that you've picked up. And the marvel at the billions of years of evolution that ended up with this thing. And you have all that evolutionary capacity in you to create the next level of your business, the next level of human culture. It's just spend a couple of minutes with something in nature, just marvel marvel at the complexity but just get out for a second and and you know smell the roses but don't just you know just get into into the marvel of what you've got inside you i mean you, you, the complexity of what you've got the hardware you've got it makes a tesla look like uh, you know a caveman caveman art once again we talked about lead the change with nick jenkel and you can find him at switchonnow.com and you may just want to check out switchonnow.com slash T-E-N and check that out. It's some free advice from someone that really knows his stuff. Nick, I loved it. This was invigorating, inspiring, and exactly what I needed to hear today. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. And I really, uh, would, I've actually just bought some orchids and I'm going to go and look at them right now. Hey, fellow entrepreneurs. Thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. I'm sure this was as inspiring for you as it was for me to do this interview. We learned some great things about Lead the Change with Nick Jenkel. Nick immediately brings up a very interesting point. He says it's important for an entrepreneur to make sense of things as they're going along. Sometimes things don't start that way. Nick's journey, and mine in a way, took us down new roads and paths. And you have to sometimes give it a good hard look as to where are you going and make sense of it all especially with the events of 2020. It seems a lot of us are left with figuring out plan B or C in order to survive or grow our business. So this is a key point to take note of based on hindsight. Make sense of things as you're going along. This helps you understand who you are and who you are becoming. Nick started off with a vision and quest to understand biology and the human mind. And as we see from his success, he became the master on this topic. And now transformations are the core of everything he does. He sums it up nicely early on that you can't really work with people until you yourself have some life experience and pain and frustration and difficult times, dot, dot, dot. A person who's been through a good bit of that is definitely a good candidate to help others get through what they need to get through and arrive on the other side of success. One thing is for sure, there are certainly a lot of theories out there, so when you need some help, the options seem endless. I think if you're in a position to get coaching and get help to scale up your business, that some of these points mentioned will help you in deciding who to go with. For sure, check out Nick's new book and give that a serious read. That will help you move along the somewhat rough and tough road ahead. And I love that he gives you the methodology on how to deal with crises and change so that you can become the master at it. He doesn't do it for you, but gives you the info and help so that you can be in control over it. Good stuff. His points on bouncing back better and braver after a crisis is beautiful. Nick says it like it is that we're all bound to see another crisis. And he believes we will go through a very tough 10 years. What do you do? You look for the opportunity in the crisis. There's so much more I got out of this interview. What did you get? I'd love to know how you use this information to help you in your business or career. Did this interview give you any ideas for your business? Did it stimulate you to take some new action? 
Please share and grab hold of your vision. Decide you're either going to start something great or take it to the next level. You have to decide first. It always starts with a decision, and you can get my vision map to help you along the process. The ebook is at tonydurso.com slash books. I created my empire in just a few years. That's all it took. I had the vision map as my guide. I wrote it up for you so that you can now do it too. Let's help you move on your journey to success. And once again, please consider supporting this show with a nice review. Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash Tony. Thanks, guys. And remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 